If you'd like to borrow a Bible and follow along with us this morning, just raise your hand. The ushers will bring you Bibles. Leave in the pew when you're done. As they are passing out the Bibles, um, I'm about to pray before I begin. I was just thinking about what happened in uh, Colorado with the, sh- with the shooting this past week. And very disturbing. And I, recently, probably the last year, I, I get up in the morning and I, I check the Tribune um, uh, on the internet. And I see the number of shootings that take place like almost on a daily basis in Chicago as well, where people are being killed as well. So I just kind of have all that in my mind, what happened in Colorado, what happens on a daily basis in Chicago, and I just think we should corporately pray together right now. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, there's just a lot going on in our world, and it's not just our country. We know the events in other countries, um, Syria and variety of other conflicts going on and, and not to mention the personal strife people have around the world and we see what happened in Colorado and we see what happens on a daily basis here in Chicago and um, we just cry out to you for mercy um, like what is our part in all this and so we, we, we see first and foremost we're going to pray and we're going to ask for you to intervene and show comfort and mercy to the families that are affected that you would bring forth the gospel that you would bring forth the truth that this life is not it, that those who trust in Christ can see the King and be received by the King one day. And so I just ask your comfort would spread uh, in Colorado and in in Chicago and around the world where there is suffering and conflict and, and great evil being committed. And show us what our part is in this um, with regard to praying and what else we are to do to intervene where there is strife and where there is suffering, where there is pain. What, what's our part, Lord? But we, we look to you and we ask you to ultimately intervene with much grace and truth and bring good out of tragedy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let's turn to Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to the book of Second Peter here over the summer. If you can't find it, look at the table of contents. Look on someone next to you. They can show you where it's at. Peter has been dealing with this issue of false teachers in chapter 2, and his tone was rather rough in chapter 2, but now he's shifting back to address the believers and their response to the false teachers and what they believe. So we're actually going to read the passage this morning, so let's go ahead and stand and I'll read. 2 Peter chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own simple desires. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. 
and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You may be seated. This past week, I was watching a a video talk online by a conference put on a group by called TED. Uh, This group, TED, is is basically a group that spreads interesting ideas. Anybody watch those videos online? uh, Yeah, several of you do, I can tell. Um, Well, the the talk was by an artist named Raghava KK. I just think it's the coolest name ever. Raghava KK. Name your kid that. It's awesome. So in it, he was explaining how he and, and his wife have created a 200-year plan. Yeah. yeah. We don't live 200 years, but they've created one. They have this 200-year plan where they're going to somehow leave this plan for their life and their legacy. And they want to leave this in the form of stories and ideas and images and, and even a, a digital legacy. And they want to leave this for, for 200 years. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, of, of creating not a five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan, but actually creating a 200-year plan for your life. It's very interesting. In addition, last week, I read another story that shot me way into the future. I, it was by the, the founder of Amazon. Maybe use Amazon. Well, the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, is, he's trying to build a $42 million clock a clock, yes, $42 million clock that will last 10,000 years. He's working on it right now in, in West Texas. He's building it there. Uh, and he's hoping that it's going to encourage people to take this, this longer view of the future. And, and he says that it's a symbolic clock for long-term thinking and, he, and the idea, idea of long-term responsibility. And I think that's kind of cool thinking about a 200-year plan and about a 10,000-year clock. That's like, well, that's, that's pretty neat. And there's nothing wrong with that to think about the decisions we make today impact the future. And that's pretty cool. But I, I, I want to just kind of pause and, and say we need to be careful. And we need to be careful because life as we know it is not going to continue on indefinitely. It's not. Because the Bible is very clear that one day Jesus Christ will intervene and God will bring judgment and the world and the interactions as we know them will be wrapped up. And so that 200-year plan may never come to fruition and the 10,000-year clock may never make it because Jesus is indeed coming back. But the false teachers that we just read about in here, 
said, uh-uh. He, he's not coming back. 10,000-year clock is great. 200-year legacy, that's fine. Go ahead and make your plans because the world has always been going on just the same. Jesus is not coming back. There is no future judgment. And this kind of thinking has infiltrated the church. And Peter's church is starting to wonder, maybe he's not coming back. I've not seen him. Have you seen him? Maybe he's not coming back. And, And Peter's church, like, soon after, like, where is he? And so maybe they are starting to buy into this kind of perspective, this kind of thinking that Jesus is not coming back. And so Peter writes and says, whoa, 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 hold on. Hold on. He is coming back. And let me explain to you and argue with you and persuade you, church and church, that he's coming back at just the right time. So what we're going to do today is just kind of simply follow through Peter's exhortation. And kind of when we have words like this kind of running all together in a letter and, and ten verses, I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of give you an outline. And to make it real simple, I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done before. It's an outline that actually starts with R's. So three R's. Like old school preaching, you'll love this. Number one, remember the truth. Two, reject the lies. Three, realize God's timing. That is the message that Peter's giving here. Kind of keep it organized in your head, and we're just going to walk through it. All right? Ready to go? Let's do it. Start in verse 1. Remember the truth. Peter says, this is now the second letter. Does anybody want to take a wild guess what the first letter was? Yeah, First Peter. Yeah, good. You're awake. This is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Now, do you catch that? This is not hostile. Not hostile here. Sincere mind. They have this earnest mind. They're not, they're not against Peter. They're not against the truth here. But he wants to, them to remember. Two areas of remembrance. Look in verse 2. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. Okay, stop there. So first he wants them to remember the prediction of the Old Testament prophets. And the Old Testament prophets prophesied a time in the future where this would be a great judgment. The Messiah would come and there would be a a great judgment. You you can see it all the time in reading the Old Testament prophets. You'll see it a lot, Isaiah especially. There is coming a time of judgment. So he says, Peter says, okay, remember The Old Testament prophets spoke about this judgment coming. Don't listen to these false prophets. Go all the way back to the Old Testament prophets. So he wants them to remember the Old Testament prophets. But look what else he says to remember. Look at verse 2. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. What, What does that mean? Well, the idea here is that the apostles were authorized to speak truth because they were the apostles of Jesus. But what commandment of Jesus do the apostles relay to the church? Well, I don't think it's one specific command, but if I'm understanding this passage rightly, the command in general is talking about living a holy life. So Peter says, remember the Old Testament prophet that spoke about the the judgment. And he says, also remember your own apostles that spoke about the command to live a holy life. Lots of commands. And you may say, what's the connection between the return of Christ or judgment predicted by the Old Testament prophets and 
the command to be holy by the apostles. Why is he mentioning those two things? You may think that is so unrelated. But here's why. The false prophets, they were saying, Jesus is not coming back. Therefore, we can live any way we want. And these false prophets, as we saw in chapter 2, live lives of sexual morality, live lives of greed, and taking advantage of one another. Since Jesus is not coming back, we can do whatever we want. I mean, if you have a theology that Jesus is going to come back for judgment, that means you really can't enjoy sin. <laughs> so let's just kind of get rid of that coming back piece, and we can just live it up. And what does Peter say? Remember. Remember the Old Testament prophets. Remember the commandments of the apostles. Remember the word of God. And if I could just jump out and exhort you and kind of get in your face and say, look, no time in our church, no time in your life, no time in any context you're in with other Christians, do you need to set the Bible aside. Don't ever get to a point in your life you say, you say well, I've read it, I know it, I'm done. Give me a break. We don't, we, we don't do that. Like, like, for example, when was the last time you thought about the return of Jesus until this morning? Don't, don't tell me out loud, but just think about it. When's the last time you thought about the return of Jesus until this morning? I mean, were you singing soon and very soon all week? Were you singing that song? Were you just ready for the return of the Lord? My point is this. You're not going to think these things unless you're in the Word. And too many churches and too many families and too many individuals set the Word of God aside, and they say, we already know it. Someone's already told me. You're missing the point. The point when you show up here on Sunday morning is not because you're learning all this new stuff. I'm just, I have the easiest job in the world. I just tell you stuff you already know. How hard can that be, right? We get in the Word, and we remind one another of the stuff we already know. And that's what Peter's doing. So he wants them to remember the truth. But the second thing he wants is he wants them to reject the lies. Look at verse 3. He wants them to reject the lies. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So these false teachers will show up and they'll come in the last days. So here's the question. Are we living in the last days? You may see some preacher on TV, and he'll say, we're living in the last days. And I'm going to say this. Yes, we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since Jesus showed up on the scene and until he comes back. We are in the last days right now. So if you want to tweet that, Pastor Jason says we're living in the last days. All right, That's true, because that's what the Bible teaches. We're living in the last days, and we're anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Now, in between Jesus' first and second coming, we can expect, get this, we can expect messages to conflict with the Word of God. I'm going to repeat that. During this time of living in the last days, we can expect messages to conflict with the Word of God. And so for Peter, false prophets during his day, false teachers during his day, they would belittle and mock the believers and scoff at them and saying that Jesus Christ is not going to come back. Now, I want you to look at verse 3 again. Please look at it again. He says, these scoffers in the last days, they'll come in the last days with scoffing, and notice that, following their own sinful desires. 
So they're creating this theology that Jesus is not going to return, and the reason why they're creating it is they want to indulge in their own sinful desires. So not only does their theology, I mean, a lot of people want to be in a church like this, no judgment, and you can do whatever you want. Well, that's a really good theology, right? You can just, there's no judgment, and you can do what you want. Where do I sign up? I mean, come on. That's the, and, and you may think, you may think, you may think this. Oh, there's no way churches do that anymore. They, they, like, wouldn't you think that after reading the Bible, no church would say that anymore? No judgment. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. But it happens all the time. In fact, recently, a, a, an entire denomination has done something like this. Let me put it in perspective. This guy named Michael Spencer, he said, when you see this happening in a church or in a denomination, it's a spirituality that has Jesus on the cover but not in the book. You ever met anybody like that? They have Jesus on the cover, (laughs) but inside they just kind of throw it out. So a lot of churches do that, okay? A lot of churches do that. A lot of denominations do that. So this, this denomination, just this month, made a lot of votes when they met together. And here's two of the things they voted on. And, and, and there's a lot of things they voted on prior to this. They're just unbelievable. But here's things they voted on. So when they, when, when they apparently searched the Word of God, here is their conclusion. Okay? Abortion, yes. Spanking, no. So I think they have clearly set the Bible aside. When they've come to conclusion, abortion, yeah, go for it. Because when I'm, I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading about a God who knows me in the womb, who's knitted me in the womb. He's, he knows me. Okay? And so I, I, that's clearly, to me, against the Word of God. And then, 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 then spanking. And I, and I think, wow, there's a lot of verses on that as well, on how we are to raise our children with appropriate discipline. And so when they come to that conclusion, I just want to say, What verses were you looking at that made you come to that conclusion? And I think it's this. It's accommodating the world. It's accommodating the culture. It has Jesus on the cover, but not in the book. And this is just two issues. You can just go across across the board. And and we don't want to be people who do that. We don't don't come across with any certain agendas politically and things like that. We just want to hold to the word of God. Simply that. But Peter sees what they're doing, and so watch this. He's going to cut out their argument. Watch him undercut their argument. Look at verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So their, their mock, their argument is this. Jesus isn't coming back because ever since creation... Everything's always been the same. That is their argument. They are embracing something called, I'm going to put a big word. I saw Brian preach last week. He put a big word on the screen. I thought, I want to use a big word too. So check this one. Put this, come on, put it up there. Uniformitarianism. You use that much? I don't. You say, well, what does that word mean? What's actually in your verse? Look at the very last of verse four. It means that all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what that word means. 
that since the beginning of the world, since the Old Testament saints have come and passed off the same, things have continued to be the same. That is their argument. Nothing changes. And so Peter says, okay, let me pick your argument apart. Look at verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So they are deliberately forgetting this small piece that happened called creation. (laughs) A little small issue they're kind of overlooking there. And Peter says things have not always been the same because God actually intervened and he created the world. And it says he created out of water and through water. I'm not quite sure of all the details. I'm kind of separating the water and the sky and the land. I don't have all the details there. But Peter's saying, look, it hasn't always been the same. God intervened at creation with water. Now, he mentions water again. Look at verse 6. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So he's saying God not only intervened at creation, but years later, he also intervened again with water again at the flood. Remember the flood, the judgment of God. So they're arguing things have always been the same. And Peter's saying, oh, no. God has intervened at creation. God has intervened at flood. And and Peter's saying, and he's going to do it again. Look at verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So God spoke by his word, came creation. God spoke by his word, came the flood. And God spoke, and he's going to speak again. And there is going to be judgment. And this is going to be a time where the judgment fire of God will will impact the elements, and I believe it's a literal fire. You're like, why do you think it's a literal fire? Well, was it a literal flood? Yeah. Literal water? Yep. That's why I think it's going to be literal fire. And this fire is not just going to judge people, but it's going to have some effect upon the elements. We'll talk about more about that later and next week. It's going to have an impact upon the elements. But the argument that Peter is getting at here is that God has intervened before at creation. God has intervened before the flood, and he's going to intervene again with fire at the end. And these false teachers are saying, ah, God never intervenes. Things have always been the same. Things are always going to be the same. And Peter says, your argument is wrong-headed. This past week, I was out on the streets, and I was asking people three questions. And here are the three questions. When people pass by and they stop and talk, here are the three questions. Question number one, what is wrong with the world? Question number two, how can it be fixed? Question number three. Where is our world headed? And as we've been talking to people on the streets, I would say the majority of people that we talk to do not have much hope for our world and wonder how much longer it is going to exist. And this, as we talk to people, interact with them, it's an opportunity for us to say, you know what? God actually intervened in the world with salvation in Jesus, and he's going to intervene in the world at the end and bring deliverance for the saints and judgments on those who don't know him. 
And so we think about God's intervention throughout history in creation and the flood. He intervened again at salvation. He's going to intervene again at judgment. And God intervenes all the time in our lives. So who, who are we to be like false teachers and say God never interjects himself in history? Peter said he does all the time and he will again. So get rid of the lies. Hold on to God's truth. And let's finish up here with God's timing. Look at verse 8. Now he really addresses the believers. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Don't you like that? Don't overlook this one fact. What's the one fact? You're talking about God's timing. Because I think the believers, they believed he's coming back, but they struggled with the delay. I mean, just think about your own life. How many of you are struggling with uh, what you would call God's delay, (laughs) right? You're waiting for him to come through for you, but there seems to be some delay, and you're struggling with the issue of God's timing. And these believers, they were being persecuted. They had false prophets. They had this teaching ringing in their head that Jesus was coming back. And they're like, where is he at? And then Peter says, look, with God, one day, like a thousand years. And a thousand years, it's like one day. And you're like, what does that mean? I mean, is that the way it is for you? Like, one year for you is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And you're like, what exactly does that mean? Because you are a person that came here this morning because you were experiencing second after second, minute after minute, hour after hour. And after today, you'll experience day after day, and week after week, and, and month after month, and year after year. And that's kind of how you work, you know, it's this succession of time. That, that's, that's not how, how God works, because God, we're we know from the Bible, is timeless. I know we can't understand this, but he's always existed, and he always will exist, and he doesn't exist. Like, time's not, I guess, that's not how he rolls, you know, because time was created by him when the world was created. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this quote. Try to stick with it. It's not too complicated. I want to interject a little quote here by Wayne Grudem. It's been very helpful for me. Let me read this to you. And I'm going to give you an image after this. For those of you who don't like words, you want pictures, I got a picture coming next, all right? So first, the words. But before there was a universe, and before there was time, God always existed without beginning and without being influenced by time. The fact that God always existed before there was any time indicates to us that God's own being does not have a succession of moments or any progress from one state of existence to another. To God himself, all of his existence is always somehow present. Boy, my, my head hurts reading that. <laughs> Can you think about it? To God himself, all of his existence is always somehow present. What? It doesn't mean that he doesn't inter- interact with you in time and intervene in time, but it's saying that he views time as present. And you're like, please give me a picture. Okay, here's a picture. This is from Wayne Grudem. So here's God. God looks down at his creation, 
and his view of seeing it all as present, he sees creation, life of Christ, 1994. <laughs> Did you like that? That's when he created the book. So 1994, I like that. Final judgment, and on and on. This is a relationship of God to time, how he's just seeing it all as present. Isn't that amazing to think about that? You're, and that is how his, his view is of time. And he interacts with us in real time. But sometimes we want to go, God, just speed it up. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Break through timetable-wise for me. Come on back, Jesus. And, and he's, he's got his own timing going. And then you want to ask the question, well, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? If he promised it, and if we've been waiting, give me one good reason Jesus hasn't come back. You ever want to say that to God? Give me one good reason. and give you a lot, but here's one good reason. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because he's patient. He's still waiting for people to repent and to come to faith in Jesus and be reconciled to the Father and live forever. And the false teachers are saying, God's delay is proof that he's not coming back. And it's ironic that God's delay is patience so they can repent. Now, I'm sure you've been to many missions conferences and you've heard this verse over and over again. And it's a good worldwide mission verse. Get out there. Tell people about Jesus before he comes back. That's a great verse for that. Keep using it for that. But please notice the context of this verse. Look at verse 9 again. Please look at verse 9. He says, but is patient toward you. Do you see it in there? But is patient toward you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's supposed to say like he's patient toward all the tribes who've not heard yet. Well, that's true. But this says he's patient toward you. Well, why would God need to be patient toward the church? Because there are some in the church that are starting to buy into the lies of these false teachers. And Peter is saying, hey, Jesus hasn't come back yet because God's patient toward you and he's waiting for you to repent. Yes, the nations need to repent, but there are also people within the church who do not know Jesus, who are living in sin. They may have Jesus on the cover, but not in the book. They may claim to be Christians, but they've not ever repented, been broken over their sin, put their faith in Christ for forgiveness, been reconciled to God, and they're here, right here this morning. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because he's waiting for you to repent. He's still patient. The time has not run out yet of his patience. He's waiting for you to repent. I love it when I meet a brother or sister who's fresh in the Lord, who gets to a point in their life, and they say, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to repent, and I don't care about the consequences. I just want to be reconciled to God. You ever got to a point in your life where you want to break out of sin and you don't care the consequences? You just want to be walking with God. 
One brother put it like this. His name's Michael DeMarco. He said it this way. Confess and get kicked out. Confess and lose respect. Confess and lose your job. Confess and sleep on the couch. Confess and be saved from your sin. God is patient. He's waiting for you to repent. This delay is his patience. But he will come. Verse 10, finish up. He will come. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So there's going to actually come a time in history where this window of repentance is shut and God's going to bring judgment. And this is called the day of the Lord. You say, what is the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord simply refers to the events of the coming of Jesus and the judgment of God. And this day of the Lord is going to come like a... You, you see the word there? It's a thief. I don't know when a thief's going to break into my house. You don't know when a thief's going to break into your house. That's why you need to be ready. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back for this judgment. It'll be like a thief. And when he comes back, notice the three things. The heavens will pass away with a roar. Why does it say roar? Many think it's the concept of fire, a roaring fire, the judgment of God. The second thing, if you notice, it says the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And there's a lot of, a lot of thoughts out there, uh, different views on the Bible. Some believe that when Jesus comes back in this judgment, earth as we know it, maybe the universe as we know it, is just going to be completely destroyed. And then we're going to have new heavens and new earth as in brand new. And then there's some who believe that, that the earth and the universe will not be completely destroyed, but it's almost more like if a refining fire. And when the new heavens and the new earth appear, it's kind of a renewal of all things, of all existing things. And I, I, I've, I can't work all out the details. I tend to always lean in the dire- direction that it's just, we're done. <laughs> when fire comes, boom. It may even be like, okay, the earth will exist and everything on the surface will just be scorched. I can't figure it all out. I just got to deal with the language I have in here about the earth being burned up in a new heavens and new earth. We'll see that next week. But it's, it's something for you to study because there are some scriptures that, that tend to emphasize both and to put it all together is, is very difficult. But I just want you to see that people, if you notice the last part, that are and all the works that are done on it will be exposed that's people, that's us, humans, and our, our deeds and our actions will be exposed. Those of us who have repented and put our faith in Christ will have our deeds exposed, but we are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Those who have thrown Christ aside will be exposed of their sinful lifestyle, but have no Savior and will be judged and spend forever in hell with his judgment. And you may wonder, is he really coming back? If he's coming back, what's taking so long? I mean, think about the Peter's church. It wasn't that long for them, but for us, 
we're cranking out 2,000 years right now. And to us, we're thinking, that's a long time. Are you coming back, Jesus? But I want you to think about waiting on the Lord. Can you think of any periods of history where God's people had to wait? Could you imagine being an Israelite in Egypt? What was happening in Egypt? They were slaves. And how long were the Israelites in Egypt? Over 400 plus years waiting for deliverer. God's people were waiting. Think about God's people once again when they got kicked out of the land and they went into exile and they came back from Babylon and they were starting to rebuild their walls and their temple. How long were they waiting for the Messiah to come then? 400 plus years again. In fact, complete silence. There was not even parts of the Bible written during that time. Just silence. I'm telling you this because God's people have history of waiting. And you may say, yeah, but we're talking 2,000 years. That's a long time. And I'll just say back to that, yeah, but when this period's over, we're, we're wrapping this thing up. You, are you with me? This is, this is like the big event happened on the cross. We're in this time of salvation and patience. And, and once this is done, it's done. And so we wait. We wait for the return of Christ. We wait as repentant, saved people. And while we wait, we want to see others come to know him. But you know what? Things can turn around just like that. And boom, Christ will return. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's interesting to see the people in the past, uh, almost like we have solidarity with them and they're waiting on your intervention. And we want to say through our prayers, your kingdom come, your kingdom come to this earth. We want to say with our prayers, come Lord Jesus, come quickly Lord Jesus. But we see this time of salvation and if there's anybody in here who needs to repent, who may think this is just a joke, this is a fairy tale, Things have always been the same since the beginning. I'm going to die, then my kids will live, and then they'll die, and their kids will live. Nothing will ever change. Show them this is not a fairy tale. Things have not always been the same. This is a day of salvation. This is a day of repentance and faith. I just ask that you put their faith in you and trust you to forgive them of their sins, reconcile them to the Father. Do that this morning in their hearts. And, Lord, I just ask that you would just give us a vision of what your word says, not to set it aside, not to get angry at you on your timing, but to trust you. Things may not be perfect in our lives, but we trust you with your timing and your love for us and your care for us as people, your people. And we trust you in your timing with the return of Christ. And we long for him. Keep our hearts in that position. In Christ's name, amen.